This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. And so if you hear one thing from the past few weeks, let's understand that if we don't get how much God's loved us, the love in which we show the world will always be fractured with ill motive and it will never accomplish that which, which God desires to accomplish. Got it? Very cool. Let me just read you one quote just to kind of summarize this. I thought this was so brilliant. It's by Martin Luther. It says, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. Underneath every single sin is this lie that God's love must not be enough. There must be something more than grace. I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to take control. It's about me. We have to go back to this place. And this is what tonight's all about. I mean, just spoiler alert. We have to be root ourselves into the love of God. And then we can truly move forward as a church, as a family, as, as individuals into our cities and neighborhoods and workplaces and schools with this message. So let's pray and then we will read Ephesians 3, the end of it, together. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you so much that we stand here as a result of grace. We sing to you because of grace, that it is because your spirit drew us to the Father that we have a relationship with you. So God, I pray that you would protect this church from ever thinking that there is something beyond the love of God. Let us recapture and rekindle the profound reality of your love tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read Ephesians 3. We're going to start in verse 14, and if you're like, you know, type A, and you're like, wait, you skipped a few verses. I know uh, we, ha- we can't cover everything, but let me just summarize it. The first half of chapter 3 talks a lot about the Jewish and Gentile tension and how Gentiles, non-Jewish people are brought into the inheritance of God's family. But because we talked so much about that last week, um, we're going to go ahead and skip that concept. It's very important. Please read it um, on your own. Study it. Pray over it. Uh, but if you want more familiarity with that concept, you can just listen to the last week's teaching on the website. But tonight, we're going to kind of go to the conclusion of this uh, first half of the letter. So starting in verse 14, he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what it is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Um, someone once called Ephesians the crown jewel of the epistles. It's such a beautiful letter. And uh, we're going to kind of break this up into three parts because that's my personality. I like things broken up with structure. Uh, and the first thing we're going to be t- focusing in on tonight is the abundant strength that God offers us when we're weak. The strength that he gives us when we don't have our own. The second thing we're going to be talking about, what does he mean by being rooted in love? And lastly, we're going to be talking about imaginative prayers. That once we're rooted in love, what does it mean for us to pray in such a way that we expect God to move beyond our thoughts and imagination? So uh, let's talk about that first thing, abundant strength, abundant strength. I was studying this week, and such, it just hit me at the right time. But it probably would hit me at any time I'm reading it because I always struggle with trying to do things on my own strength. Now, every single one of us in this room has unique giftings and strengths. And what happens is when we feel stressed, pain, chaos, what happens is we lean into those things to make us feel significant and important and comfortable. But what is interesting is God is not interested in the best part of us. He's interested in all of us. And so he doesn't want justice to give us his strength. He wants to know every part of us, our weakness included, and to meet us in that space. And, uh, but what happens is we oftentimes don't even know we're doing it until we come to the end of ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Like your strength isn't enough. And there's those moments where you're like, I've done everything I can. I've done everything that I know how to do out of my own uh, will and gifting and ability. And it's just not enough. Uh, my son, uh, Augustine, just another story about him because he's so funny. Uh, he's two and a half years old. And we've never had a, a son before. We've had three daughters. And he is obsessed with strength. Like, he just runs around flexing all the time, like, with his, like, chest out and, like, kind of runs like he's going to hit people. And most of the time he does, including strangers. Like, the other day when a crowd of people and he just, like, and he's swinging like this and this sweet, small old lady walks over next to him and he just goes, whack, and she's, like, startled and looks at him. And I'm like, Augustine, say you're sorry. And she looks at, look, and she looks, or he looks up at her and just goes, my muscles, like, oh my gosh. Then I kid you not, just literally, just like deadlock my muscles. You like those? And then walks away and she looks at me and I'm like, sorry. He gets it from his mom. So, um, but what's so funny about my son is I love watching him when he comes to the end of his strength, right? Because he's actually kind of scared. He's kind of a coward. And so, um, so Philip's been hanging with our family the past few days and writing songs with, with Jen and and so, but he, my kids love hanging out with Philip. He's so, so much fun. And so he's chasing Augustine around, and Augustine's doing his thing and running up and like punching him when he's not watching and stuff like that. And Philip corners him in this corner, right? <laughs> I guess that's redundant. Um, he brings him to this corner, and he just goes, and he goes, ah! And then Augustine, I've never seen this happen before, starts like, just starts like moving, and he just goes like this, hide. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, and he just kind of peeks out from his, from his fingers, like, he doesn't see me. And it was like, wow, it was so fun to watch my son come to the end of his, he had nothing left. And so he just goes like this, and just, says, and just pronounces, hide. And in that moment, as cute as it was, I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking, like, man, 
I, I have those moments. I have those moments where I don't know what to do. I feel cornered and helpless, and I hide. I go into my own head, or some of us will try and escape that pain um, through different things, and some of those things are great, some of those things are really harmful, but oftentimes it's in the moments where we are our weakest that instead of turning to God, we hide within ourselves. And this is, let's just read this again, the first just few verses, with that in mind. It says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Just stop right here. This is a big statement because in Jewish culture, you don't kneel to pray. You stand, oftentimes with your hands lifted high, eyes open. It was a public display. And so the kind of the American precious moments picture, right, of the large Ted porcelain dolls is, um, is new. It's not really a biblical concept, except they would go on their knees when they were desperate. If you, if you look throughout scriptures, when people would fall to their knees, it was not a normal or religious act. It was an act of desperation. So when Paul writes, let's read this desperately for this reason I kneel before the Father, right? He's crying out from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's just talking about the bigness of God. Is that I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. What a beautiful concept. And this, this is important because... When he talks about this idea, the, the way to understand it is he's not, he's not giving you strength accord, like out of his riches, like, okay, I have this much strength, so I'll give you some. He says, the, the Greek word is better translated according. According to his riches, he will strengthen you. So don't look at the portion of his strength he's going to give you. Look at all of it. According to this rich amount of strength God has, accordingly, he's going to strengthen you. And he's saying this from this desperate place. He wants this young church that's undergoing persecution to know something from his heart as he himself is in chains. Is we serve a God with immense, rich strength. And he's going to strengthen you in your weakness and in my weakness. Not just out of that bank account of strength, but according to all of it. He wants to give that to you. And I love this when it says... It says, I pray this glorious riches of strength through, with power through his spirit in your inner being. And this word power is this Greek word dunamis, and it, it, we don't really have a great word for it because there's different Greek words for power, but dunamis is this unbreakable, unflinching power that God possesses, and that's what is strengthening you. And he does that, and this is huge because you're like, okay, how do I get me some of that? Through his spirit. You can't get inspired enough to get that strength. You can't learn about it enough to get that strength. It has to be received from his Holy Spirit. He gives it to you. And what's so amazing about this strength, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell is also another unique word in the Greek because it doesn't talk about temporary dwelling. It's a permanent dwelling. There's a strengthening that can happen that lasts longer than your own stamina and endurance and perseverance. 
But I think the key for us to understand is this strength that we're talking about happens through his spirit. And the reason because it happens through his spirit is because if it happened any other way, we would find a way to get it ourselves, which would immediately eliminate the need for his strength and it would go back on our strength. He's saying there's a strength you need that you cannot get. And it shows up when you come to the end of yourself in your weakness and I want to give it to you through my Holy Spirit. I love how Andrew, what Andrew Murray says is, through one of his books, he says, the Christian, I think it should be on your screen, says this, the Christian often tries to forget his weakness. God wants us to remember it, to feel it deeply. The Christian wants to conquer his weakness and to be freed from it. God wants us to rest and even rejoice in it. The Christian mourns over his weakness. Christ teaches his servants to say, I take Pleasure in infirmities. Most gladly will I glory in my infirmities. The Christian thinks his weakness are his greatest hindrance in this life and service of God. God tells us that it is the secret of strength and success. It is our weakness, heartily accepted and continually realized, that gives our claim and access to the strength of him who has said, My strength is made perfect in weakness. I want to apologize to you, honestly. Because I don't know if I know how to do this well yet. Every Sunday um, when I get up on this platform and I've spent hours pouring my, my heart and soul over scriptures and studying and reading, oftentimes for me it's a place where I lean into my strength a couple weeks ago, I was telling a couple of you guys in this room, I had a really low week, just emotionally. And I did exactly what Andrew Murray was saying that most Christians do. I just tried to get over it as fast as I could and pray it out. And I'm like, I don't want this. And I just felt so uncomfortable in weakness. I think we all do. But I think the, the Western American thing just makes it even more compounded, right? And so as I was studying this week, I just wanted to come to you as, as a pastor and as a leader, one of the leaders of this community and to say, I want to do my best not to get up here and perform. And there's going to be weeks I get up here and I feel great and joyful. And there might be weeks I get up here. Last week, I, I felt physically sick. And I might have even mentioned that. But I, wanna, I don't want to be a pastor who fakes it for the sake of the gospel. Because I think in doing that, it quenches power of it. And so I, I, I want, and the reason I want to say that is, it's just to say like, hey guys, I'm, and not that any of you are surprised with this, but I'm, I'm, I'm fully human. I have hard days and weeks and I don't want this to be a community where people have to come in here and feel like they have to be something other than they are. I talked to so many of you guys who are here, in here. So there are people in this room right now, and you've, you've told me, like, I, I don't know where I stand in my faith with Jesus. And I tell you to your face, I'm going to tell you right now, you're welcome here. Some of you guys are worn out and weary, and singing to you is so hard. You're welcome here. Some of you guys are experiencing things at work or in your home that are just devastating 
And you being here is a miracle. You're welcome here. But this would be a place that every single one of us can come in our weakness because we serve a God who loves to show up with his strength through his spirit. So at the end of the service, we're, just, we're gonna take a moment and pray, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna just ask God to f- follow through on what he promised, and that his Holy Spirit would meet us tonight, wherever we are, that he would strengthen us, and we wouldn't have to feel like we need to do it. Amen? Second thing, when we, as we look at this passage, is it, it makes this reference to being rooted in love, and so let's just read this again, and we'll, we'll kind of break this down a bit. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, that dunamis, right, that power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how, I love, just look at the wording. This is describing the love of God. How wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. Did you connect that you can't know how big the love of God is without power? You literally have to have the power of God on you to even comprehend it, which means it is impossible. We can spend weeks and seminars and classes teaching on the love of God. We won't get it unless his spirit gives us the power to comprehend it because the next verse talks about that it surpasses knowledge. There has to be this next level of impartation of reality of like, this is so big. The love of God is so big that I could never get there on my own. It has to be opened up for me through the spirit and through the power of God that he gives me. How big is that love? How, bad, how big is that love? That I, at my best, I can never preach a good enough sermon to describe it. You can never read a good enough book that would describe it. You can never hear a good enough song that can make you feel it or experience it. It can only be grasped when God, through his spirit, gives you the power to do it because it is that profound. And Paul says right here, be rooted in it. Be rooted and grounded in this love. And remember, we're about to change gears here in chapter four because we're going to talk about what we do, how we imitate God and our life with God. But he's saying, listen, we can't move on until you get it. You have to be rooted. This Greek word, rizo, which, which means it's not a, a state of being. It is an active process of rooting yourself into the love of God. And I was thinking about this, this concept of being rooted into something and how in that day, uh, 80 to 90% of the surrounding region was an agrarian culture. They made their living off of agriculture. So when Paul says rooted, immediately they know what that's like. And they didn't live in in the most lush, fertile places. There may have been some along certain rivers and seas. But what that meant is you had to do work for your crops to get rooted. I was talking with um, Casey Anderson, who's my my stepbrother, and he works as the director of the Farm Bureau for Orange County, and he knows just tons about, um, about creation and, and, and agriculture. And I was just, I'm like, Mike, talk to me about being rooted, and he says something interesting. He says, in places that are desert landscapes and have very little unpredictable rain, and they wanted to plant something like a, a grape vineyard, it says, the first three years, they water it and water it and water it, and so those roots can go down deep enough so that when, those, when that watering stops, or if it's a drought year, it doesn't kill the plant. And I was like, man, how beautiful is that? Listen, Christians, we don't need three years of watering. We need our entire lives. 
being watered and drenched with the reality of the love of God so our roots go down and down and down because we know that droughts come. We know that there's things that come against those things that what's going to want to uproot us from his love. And when we get uprooted from his love, we lean into what? Our own strength, our own ability. But for Paul, these things are connected. He says, listen, in your weakness, I'm going to give you strength. But that strength isn't just going to get you to overcome your circumstance. That strength's going to lead you to God's love. Because remember, this is a man in prison. And he's saying these things. And he doesn't get out of prison just because he wrote him. He didn't get out of prison just because he prayed these things. His prayer is that the strength of God would lead them not to uh, an escape of circumstance, but a deeper understanding of love. Why would Paul make this such a big idea, a big concept? You have to be so rooted in this love because he knows what the the church in Ephesus has faced. He knows what we're going to face. He knows what this life, as he sits there in chains, and he says, the thing that you need is is just not a quick escape or change of circumstance. What you need to know is that you are deeply loved in a way you could never imagine, and that reality will pull you through anything in into eternity. Philip Yancey was his author. Was, I was reading his article, and he's talking about how sociologists have, have discovered this, this concept called the looking glass self-theory, which states that you become what the most important person in your, in your life, a spouse, your father, a boss, thinks you are. The looking glass self-theory says you become who the most important person in your life thinks you are, says you are. And it's why every single one of us is messed up. (laughs) And his point is this. What would happen if the most important in your life, person in your life, was no longer a boss or a parent or even a spouse, but was God? And what he says about you becomes the most important thing that forms and shapes you. Everything changes. Everything changes. This is why we can't graduate from this concept of understanding the love of God. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors. One of the reasons he's one of my favorite authors is because he was a priest, became an alcoholic, Ministry fell apart and found Jesus. And now writes these beautiful books on grace. And if you haven't read them, Ragamuffin Gospel, Abba, these are just challenging books of just understanding the love of God. This is one of the things he writes. He says, we should be astonished at the goodness of God, stunned that he could bother to call us by name, our mouths wide open at his love. Bewildered that at this very moment we are standing on holy ground. His love makes this space holy. I love that. I love that. Quick story, and then we'll, we'll go to our last point. Is um, Jen and I were teaching a class one night on like spiritual gifts, and we talked about the gift of compassion. And we're going around introducing ourselves, and there's this older gentleman in the room. Gosh, must have been like close to 80 years old. Smile on his face, sweet guy. And we're going around and we're asking the question, hey, tell us one thing we should know about you. And someone's like, oh, you know, I have, you know, I have two kids. Someone's like, oh, you know, I work in this business or I went to this school. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And we get to this guy. 
never forget it. And I look at him, and he looks at everyone, and he smiles, and he's like, I am loved by Jesus. And I was like, oh, wasn't expecting that answer. And it was like, our whole room was like, oh, well, yeah, that got real spiritual real quick. But for him, like, he didn't even blink. What should we know about you? I am deeply loved by Jesus. And here's this old man with the joy of the Lord in his heart because he figured out something I long to be rooted in. I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, just as I am. I'll never forget that moment. So as Paul's writing this about the length and the width and the depth of God's love, he kind of... He kind of stops talking, and he just starts worshiping at the end of this chapter. Listen to what he says. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. It's just like Paul just like, Woo, man, the love of God is so good. He's able to do far more than we could ever ask or ever imagine. He's this good with his glory go on forever in the church and in the earth. And he, you can just see like Paul just like, gets it, like the person writing this, or if he's writing this, he just starts like, he's like, I can't contain it anymore. God is so good. He's so good. Like this is unbelievable, this love that we get to root ourselves into, this strength that we don't have to earn, just is given to us. How good is God? And so here, I mean, just, just imagine this. Imagine Paul on his knees, because he said he was on his knees, blisters around his ankles, dry blood along his feet as these old rusted chains are locked together. And as he's down there and he's writing about the deep love of God and the heat of the day and God's watching him and he's just like, you, I just can't get you to understand it, that this God, this loving God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I'm sure the guards are looking at him like, you're in prison, bro. This gives me hope that there must be something that exists in this life that is more real than the pain you're experiencing today, than the chains that are locked around your ankles right now, that there is a love that is so tangible and palpable that it actually transcends our circumstances. Because it did for Paul, and he wants it to be that way for this church hundreds of miles away. Do you get it? That the love of God is bigger than anything that is presently facing us. And it will always be there for us. He can do it. Our God is not weak. Our God is not too, too slow. No, he is able. And anything you're thinking about or asking for, imagining, he's able to do it. What would happen if we root ourselves into that kind of love and our prayers start reflecting that kind of reality that when we ask God, they're filled with imagination, imaginative prayers. God, you can do it. You can do it. You can do all things. And it doesn't mean that we understand. It doesn't mean that we get to control God with our prayers in the slightest. But what it does mean is the goodness and love of God is something that runs deeper. It's a deeper current than what we can see with our eyes. And we can lean into that. 
he can do more than we could ever imagine. This church exists because of this reality. Not because Jen and I and a team of people thought we could do a good job starting a church. No, no, no. This is a result of a God, a merciful God, a loving God who cared about a city called Encinitas and said, I want my people to know his love and beauty. That's all this is. That's all he wants our lives to be is just a result of that kind of love. We have no other message than this.